0: We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Psalms and a sermon series entitled Summer in the Psalms. I want to publicly thank uh, Andrew Sigenthaler and David Bybee for shepherding our souls the last couple weeks as we study together Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 147 this morning and Psalm 102 next Sunday. But this morning, I want us to think about what it means to be called to worship. Oh, would God make us worshipers here at Coral Ridge. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 11, we see a call or a command to worship. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds, He determines the number of the stars, and he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever, amen. You may be seated. What is something, That at one point amazed you, but it now ceases to be amazing. Something at one point in your life captured you, enthralled you, but you've become so accustomed to it, seen it so much, you've heard about it so often that it just doesn't capture you the way it used to. I believe, unfortunately, that's often what happens in the church of Jesus Christ, we come to worship, and we sing songs, and we pray, and we hear the word, and it just doesn't seem like it changes anything. The thought of standing in the presence of God and worshiping him just doesn't, ma- just doesn't capture us or amaze us like it used to. Often we can sit and through a worship service, and we might say, well, why was he wearing that suit today? Uh, what was going on with the A.C.? And The music was too loud and why did we sing that song and I didn't understand the lyrics and how about the coffee that used to be in the back? That's what we find ourselves often times saying after we've just had an hour where we have encountered the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we in the North American church in the 21st century need a wake-up call. We need to be amazed yet again at the presence of God. And his glory. And so would God through this word this morning. Remind us of our call and our command. To be worshipers. Not just in an hour service once a week. But may it so transform our lives this one hour through prayer and confession and singing and through the declaration of the gospel that we would be made new every week, transformed by the worship of God with the people of God, that it would spill over into every aspect of our lives the rest of the week. Oh God, would you make us worshipers? Let's study Psalm 147 together. We're going to look at worship is remembering the greatness of God. Secondly, we're going to look at worship responding to the greatness of God. And third and lastly, we're going to look at worship is resting in the greatness of God. First, worship is remembering the greatness of God. We are called to remember the greatness of God in worship, and we see that with the opening line of this psalm, praise the Lord. Those three words in the English have one word in the Hebrew, hallelujah. The word hallel means to praise or to boast. Yah is short form for the covenantal personal name of God, Yahweh. Hallelujah. Praise and boast in God. So when we sing the hallelujah chorus, It is a chorus of boasting in God. That is what it means to praise the Lord. Praise is not just singing a song. Praise is not just raising your hands in worship. Praise is not just sitting here for an hour and tolerating worship. Praise is boasting in God. This is what it means for worship to be a reminder of the greatness of God over all things. See, what the scripture is doing here, by way of Psalm 147, is giving you permission to boast. Do you know it's not wrong to boast? What's wrong with boasting is who we boast in. It's the object of our boasting. Because of sin and the fall, by nature, we boast in ourselves. We glory in ourselves. We worship in ourselves. Sin and the fall have made a people that have been created to boast in God and have curved us in on ourselves to point all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the boasting in ourselves. We are a people that love to boast. And we have been created to boast and to praise the Lord. And in the context of worship, boast in his glory and in his greatness. But because of sin, we will find a hundred different ways throughout our day and throughout our week to boast in ourselves. We will boast in our marriage. We will boast in our children. We will boast in our child's achievements and accomplishments. We will boast in our work. We will boast in our uh, our bank accounts. We will boast in our social networks. And we will use social media to boast and praise ourselves and to find glory for our names. Every social media post and every like is our attempt to affirm ourselves. But God is saying through the psalmist that we have been created to praise the Lord, to bring our hallelujahs to God, and in the context of worship, this is who we boast in. A call to worship is a command to worship the greatness of God. And how do we do that? By remembering the story of God. Look at verse 2 through 6 with me. Verse 2 through 6 recalls the story of God's faithfulness. He builds up Jerusalem. He heals the brokenhearted. He determines the stars. He's abundant in power. He lifts up the humble. What we're doing in worship every week, that's why part of worship is repetition, is we are rehearsing and remembering the faithfulness of God so that on your worst day, you can recall when God was faithful on your worst seasons through life, you can remember, God, you have proven yourself to be faithful. You were faithful to Adam and you were faithful to Noah and you were faithful to Abraham and you were faithful to the patriarchs and you will be faithful in my life. When I can't trace you or see you, when I fail to recognize your presence, I know that you're faithful and that's why we're gathering for worship. That's why in your personal worship through the week, we are asking that you would meditate regularly on God's word, that you would journal all of those moments in life where, God, you have shown up in ways that seemed impossible. So on my worst day, when seemed, everything seems to be falling apart in my life, I can go back. I have a treasury of memories in my mind storing up God's word and storing up God's testimonies of his faithfulness that will sustain me morning by morning, new mercies I see. And so what you're doing when you're singing and confessing and praying and hearing God's word, it's a part of our covenant renewal every week, being reminded of God's faithfulness, even when we're not faithful. Worship is remembering the greatness of God. And reorienting our souls to not find our boast in ourselves, but to find our ultimate boast in the glory of God. Secondly, worship is not only remembering the greatness of God, but worship is responding to the greatness of God. Our worship on a Sunday morning should transform us in such a way that we are made new every single Sunday. That we are being renewed and refreshed and reoriented. That God is God and we are not. You see what the psalmist says in the second half of 147 is profound. Or, or a verse 1. For it is pleasant. That word pleasant can be translated beautiful. Worship should not lead you to simply recognize God as useful. But to see God as beautiful and utterly glorious. The problem is for most Christians, God is simply useful. He's a means to an end. I come to worship and I say a prayer and I go to Bible study, so maybe I could get a leg up this week. He's useful to me, but He's not beautiful, He's not pleasant. What the psalmist is saying is that you should be so transformed by the worship of the greatness of God that it should transform you to respond in such a way that, God, you are no longer useful to me, but you are utterly glorious and beautiful, that I set my eyes on you and there is nothing more beautiful than the greatness and the glory of God. But we also see how the psalmist responds. Not only, God, are you beautiful, but it says in verse 1, a song of praise is fitting. What does the psalmist mean by the word fitting? It means that it's right and appropriate. The psalmist is saying, in light of your greatness, O Lord, it is only right and appropriate to bring you praise. Anything less than bringing you our boast And our glory and our praise would not be fitting. Anything less would not be appropriate. The only appropriate and rightful response of the people of God, once they've encountered the glory of God, is to praise you. And to be transformed by it. This is what it means to appropriately respond to his greatness in worship. It is fitting and it is right. I think it's interesting the context that the psalmist is writing notice how he describes the people that are receiving this psalm. He describes the people this way. In verse 2, he calls them outcast. Verse 3, he calls them brokenhearted. Verse 3, he calls them wounded. And in verse 6, he calls them humbled, or that word in the Hebrew could be translated afflicted. He's not describing a people that are flourishing, but a people that have gone through immense trial. Why is this important? The psalmist is saying that we are to be transformed by the greatness of God in such a way that in season and out of season, we can praise the Lord. We offer our praises to God when life is flourishing, and we offer our praises to God when life is floundering. We offer our praises to God when our marriages are thriving, and we offer our praises to God when our marriages are barely surviving. We offer our praises to God when our children are growing in the Lord, and we offer our praises to God when we have nothing but prodigals at home or afar. We offer our praises to God in seasons of financial security, and we offer our praises to God in seasons of financial insecurity. We offer our praises to God when we are given the gift of a child, and we offer our praises to God when God takes our children home. This is what it means to be transformed the greatness of God, our worship and boast in God is not dependent on our circumstances. But it's based upon the one who is seated on the throne. And if we cannot respond this way to God in worship, we have to ask ourselves, have we truly worshipped? If the focus is constantly on us and my need for approval, and my need to be satisfied, and and my need to be noticed, you probably haven't worshipped properly until you have been so enthralled and amazed and captured by the glory of God that only he becomes your boast. Only he becomes the center of your attention. If this is truly what happens in worship and we are being renewed and refreshed every single week to be captured and amazed yet again by the glory of God, how does this change your thought of worship? It means that worship with the people of God can't be optional. If this is what happens in worship, that we are being amazed every week and captured by the glory of God, there should be a line out that, out that door banging the doors down because there's, you are saying to yourself, my soul needs this. I've been created to boast and worship and praise God. It means we can't come into worship casually or with a cavalier spirit but that there is a sense of urgency that we are about to worship the king, that we are about to bring our gifts and our voices and our lives and our bodies as a sacrificial offering to the Most High God. It means that every day you wake up, you are singing the hymn, I will arise and go to Jesus, instead of saying, I will arise and go to my cell phone that I will arise and go to the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer of all things. This is a life captured by worship. But number three, not only is the worship of God remembering the greatness of God, responding to the greatness of God, but third and lastly, worship is about resting in the greatness of God. Verse 10 gives us a warning The psalmist says, his delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. This is very relevant, it seems, to a person living in South Florida. Does God not want us to wear shorts? Is God offended by our bare legs? It's not what the psalmist is talking about. The ancients understood what this warning meant. See, when the ancients fought in war, they wore robes. But when they were marching to battle or riding in on a horse to defeat the enemy, they would roll up their robes and they would show their legs. Their legs, their bare legs were a sign of their strength. It was a sign of their dominance. And what God is saying through the psalmist is God doesn't care. God is not impressed by your power or your strength. It's why Psalm 2 says, While the nations are raging against God, God sits on his throne and he laughs. He laughs at the powers of this world. He laughs at our attempts to prove ourselves. He laughs at our attempts to justify ourselves. And he says, I do not delight in your power or your strength. But what does he delight in? Well, the answer comes in verse 11. But the Lord does take pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. God delights in those who come to worship and say, God, there is none like you. He delights in those that renounce their self-sovereignty and lean wholly on Jesus' name. He delights in those that come to the end of themselves and surrender And recognize that their only hope is in the steadfast love of God. That word steadfast love means his covenantal, faithful, never-ending, never-failing love. That is ultimately demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God delights and takes pleasure. That word can also be translated favor. He finds favor with those who look to his son Jesus Christ as Lord and surrender their lives to him as their only hope in life and in death. Worship is ultimately God flexing his muscles every single Sunday, reminding us once again of his love for wayward sinners like you and me. Worship is weekly being reminded that in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and allowing that gospel truth to bring you both comfort and to fuel your worship, not just on Sunday, but on the remainder of your week. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you hoping in? What is the object of your boast and of your worship? If you have anything less than the glory of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ, that is a hopeless existence. You will be striving the rest of your life to find favor and hope and meaning and purpose to no avail. It is only when you find your hope in the finished work of Christ and in him alone that he became your substitute on the cross and the righteousness and favor you long for can actually be given to you by way of the Father through the cross of Jesus Christ. Only then can you be set free and only then can you receive the favor of the only one that matters, a favor that has no end. Not according to your work, but according to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's reckoning that God is not useful, but he is altogether lovely and beautiful and glorious. And worship ultimately is being reminded that we find our delight in him because first in Jesus Christ, he found his delight in us. Have you received him? Have you been saved by him? Have you been rescued from the miserable existence of trying to find in Jesus Christ, in finding in this world that what can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ? This is the good news of the gospel that is preached to you this morning. So would you surrender? Would you repent? And would you believe? We are a people starving for favor. And you can have it through the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of every worship service I invite you the congregation to gather in the narthex for prayer. In case I forget to do it at the end, I'm doing it now. And the reason we invite you to come and pray is not some nicety. It's not just a sweet way to cap off a service. We actually believe that in the context of worship that we are encountering the living God in such a way That something radical is happening inside of you. And it would be pastoral malpractice to not invite you to come and respond in some way. To not come and respond and say, I have been saved today. To come and respond and cast your burdens upon the Lord to come and respond and ask for healing and for hope and asking God to overwhelm you this week with his providential goodness and care. It is our opportunity and our invitation to you to respond to God in worship, to say, yes, I have encountered the living God and God is doing something in me that I must tell others about. That is why we gather for prayer. That is why we confess. And that is why we say yes and amen. I believe this is a great church. But this church does not exist to simply be a great church. This church exists to point the nations to the greatness of God. We have a beautiful building. Amazing ministry, an incredible host of preachers that love God's word. But if you have come here for any of those things, you will be sorely disappointed because this church exists. For one reason and one reason alone is to point others to the glory of God and his greatness. Our job is not to show off and impress you with our sufficiency and our works and our goodness and our accomplishments. Our church exists to show you and impress you with the greatness of Almighty God. And so may thousands upon thousands be drawn to the gospel and drawn to the kingdom to experience his glory, to see that he is the end in which our souls long for. And may God use us here, this local manifestation of the kingdom of God at Coral Ridge, to draw many through our worship and through our lives to the greatness of God and the glory of his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we do not exist as an end in of, of itself, but we exist for the praise and the glory of God. May we be a people that understand what it means to worship in such a way that we are transformed, less of us and more of you. And may we be drawn to the worship of God because we believe that we need it. We believe that we've been created for it, that our souls will rot without it. And may we be so captured by your beauty and your glory and your greatness as it's demonstrated through the work and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we become walking billboards throughout South Florida, pointing people to the glory and greatness of God knowing that this is what the world needs, to not fix their eyes on things that will grow strangely dim, but to fix their eyes on the one who makes all things new, the one who created the universe, the one who is redeeming his elect, and the one who sustains us until the new creation of the heavens and the earth. O Lord, make us worshipers for your glory, so that the whole world might know of your greatness. And if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching at home that has never encountered the greatness of God, that has been consumed with their own greatness, consumed with their own achievements, consumed with their own righteousness, Lord, I pray that they would surrender today. They would cast that burden upon the Lord, the one who is righteous for them, the one who justifies them, the one who saves them from their unrighteousness. May they repent and be saved and believe and may their hearts and their souls be captured by the glory of God and may they realize that through Jesus Christ your favor rests upon them, the favor of the only one that matters both now and forever. Lord, may many come to the cross today and be transformed, born again, as children of the Most High God. We pray this to our Chief Shepherd, the one who leads us in worship. In his name we pray. Amen.